So, how many of you have one of these things? My cell phone. Uh, it's not a game. Uh, if you have one of these, you probably know a little thing about dependence already, uh, especially if you're a youth. Youth are desperately dependent upon cell phones. Uh, if you're a youth and it gets down to 2% um, and you don't have a charger, you're going to be breathing in a bag. You're going to be freaking out. I've seen it so many times on youth trips when they forget to bring a charger. It's not good. But even if you're not dependent upon your cell phone, uh, we know something about dependency, whether it be nicotine, alcohol. It could be a job that you just, if you lost your job, you don't know what you do with yourself. You're dependent upon that job for whatever reason. So we know a thing or two about dependency, but the question for us is how well do we know dependency upon Jesus? We're dependent on all kinds of things every day, every moment, but how well do we know to be dependent upon Jesus every day, every moment? The disciples in Mark, where we'll be this morning, chapter 6, starting at verse 45, they were having a hard time learning this lesson of dependency. And so we're going to see three lessons uh, that Jesus had for his disciples, if my clicker will work. We might need them to run this. There we go. So we're going to see three lessons Jesus had for his disciples. And then in your bulletin, I've already given you an outline. Um, You'll see the urgency, uh, the reveal, and then the astonishment. So I don't know what's going on in the slides, but we'll just go on ahead. All right, so verse 45 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he was sending the crowd away. And so... There is this idea of urgency. The word that starts out is immediately. So that gives you a hint. There's some urgency. But then the verb there, made, Jesus made, there's an idea of force. Jesus is telling his disciples, like, come on, guys, get in the boat. It's time. Go, go. John's gospel tells us that the crowds were wanting to make Jesus king. And so maybe that was Jesus saying, you don't need to be around this nonsense. You need to get in the boat and go. Mark doesn't say that, though. I think what Mark is trying to show to us with Jesus' urgency is he's got a lesson or a few lessons for the disciples. Because if you look down at verse 52, it says, For they had not gained any insight into the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. So they missed something. And so he's going to teach them something. And so what was the incident with the loaves? If you go back, just one story, it's Jesus in the 5,000. So Jesus comes ashore, verse 33, 34. He sees the crowd, and it says that Jesus had compassion on them. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does the good shepherd do? He feeds them God's word. That verse finishes, says he began to teach them many things. Well, the disciples then, in verse 35, it says when, when it's already late, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. And it's already quite late. Send them to the surrounding villages so they can get something to eat. The word desolate means empty, void, uninhabited. It's not like they were in the desert, but the land was unable to produce food for them to eat. It was desolate. They're hungry. It's getting late. There's nothing here for them to eat. It's desolate. So send them somewhere. 
And vintage Jesus statement coming right at him. He says, you feed them. And they're like, okay. Um, and their response is critical for our lesson today. They say, you want us to feed them. You want us to go into the city and buy them food. And Jesus says, no, why don't you go and look and see how much bread we have. And so the disciples go off and they come back. And it says that they have five loaves and two fish. And they say, we ain't got enough. We're limited. We can't feed them. And so in a way, the disciples themselves are desolate. They're unable, like the area they're in, to produce food, to provide food to feed the crowd. So Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. And does Jesus feed the crowd? He, Mark, verse 41, is very clear to say he kept handing the disciples food. The disciples fed the crowd. And the way it's written in the Greek is exactly how it's written in my Bible. He kept on giving. He kept on supplying for the disciples. And the disciples were then feeding. So the lesson was that desolate disciples are in need to depend on Jesus. The disciples could not feed the crowd on their own because they were desolate. But Jesus was trying to teach them that when you depend on him, you can do the impossible. When we depend on Jesus, we can do the impossible. And so that was the lesson. Desolate disciples are to desperately depend on Jesus. Desolate disciples are desperately to depend on Jesus. But verse 42 says they didn't get that lesson. So here we go, verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. He's sending them from a desolate situation into a desperate situation now. And from the disciples' perspective, there's urgency too, because they've already said it's getting late. And Jesus is saying, get in the boat, and they got to go across the lake. And Jews don't like being on the sea at night. They've had friends who've gone out at night and not come back. It's the unknown, the dark, that they don't like. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's this headline statement. Verse 2 then goes into how God did it. And before he brought in ordered creation, verse 2 says that the earth was a waste. It was empty. And that darkness was over the surface of the deep. Without God, earth was just a watery, tumultuous, wet mess. And God came in and brought life and joy and order. And so they don't want to be on the sea at night because who knows what's going on out there. And so there's some real urgency on their part. So Jesus and the disciples both have a sense of urgency, but for two different reasons. The disciples are wanting to miss this potential uh, desperate situation with a storm perhaps on a sea in the darkness, and Jesus is sending them right into it. So let's get into the three lessons that Jesus wants to reveal to his disciples. Verse 47, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. So right there, what does verse 47 sound like? It's dark. They're in the middle of a sea, and God, Jesus, is not with them. He's on the land. It's Genesis 1-2. It's dark. It's a watery mess, and without God, it's chaotic. 
So Jesus is sending his disciples from a desolate place where they didn't catch the lesson into a desperate place now where hopefully they will catch the lesson. Is there, are there any lake people in the house? Lake people? Yeah, we've got some hands going up. Lake people will tell you, if you go out into a big lake at night and cut the engine, it gets pretty dark. And if there's no stars, it's pitch dark. And then you add in some waves and wind, it gets scary. Verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And the word straining there actually means tormented. It's in the passive here, so they were being tormented. They were being harassed, thrown around. And the word is also used to torment metal, to test the quality of metal. And so in a way, Jesus is testing the quality of their dependence upon him. Matthew's gospel writes that the waves were also tormenting the boat. The boat was even being tormented. The disciples' strength to fight the waves and the wind and the darkness uh, was not enough. John's gospel tells us they rode all night long and got nowhere. On their own, they got nowhere. These desolate disciples are now desperate disciples in a desperate situation. And alone, they can't do it. And that's the first lesson. God reveals in trials our limitations. I don't know why it is trials that he, he uses all, all the time, it seems like, in my life, but it seems like he's always using trials to show me my limitations, that I'm not good enough, I'm not powerful enough, and that I desperately need him every day, every moment. C.S. Lewis has a, a famous quote. It's one of the first books I ever read that I was serious about. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And oftentimes that's the case. We just don't catch the lesson until God's shaking us by the collar. Like, hey, look at what I got for you. So oftentimes trials God uses to reveal our limitations. Well, verse 48, the night is almost over. They've been tormented. Their physical strength has been put to the test. And at the fourth watch of the night... So that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. I'm thinking it's probably closer to 6 a.m. He came to them walking on the sea. Here comes God. Here comes Jesus. Genesis 1-2, the earth was a waste, empty. The darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the water. Here comes Jesus walking on the surface of the water. The chaotic sea under him was a display of his power, his authority as God to subdue creation and to subdue chaos. Colossians 1, 16 says, for by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth. Whether visible or invisible, uh, dominions, thrones, rulers, authorities, all these things have been created through him and for him. But if we keep reading on, it says this Jesus who has the power to subdue chaos, to bring an end to it all, it says he intended to pass them by. What is that about? If, I'm, if I think I'm drowning in a sea at night and Jesus is coming, I'm saying, right here, Jesus, I need you. But Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to just pass on by. Like, what is going on? And I think it's an allusion to Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, you, you, many of you know the story. Israel 
has come out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Moses goes up on a mountain, gets Ten Commandments. He comes down, and what's going on? Israel's partying, worshiping this golden calf. Moses gets angry, throws down the tablets. God's not real happy. Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3, God says, you can go to the promised land, but you're going alone. You can go, but I'm not going with you. And Moses knows we cannot go alone without God. We will not make it without God. And so Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, and God has compassion. He's gracious. And in verse 19, the wording is exactly like it is in Mark. He tells Moses, I'm going to pass you by. He says, I will make myself, my goodness, pass by you. And again in verse 22 of chapter 33, he says it again, that he is going to pass by. And what that means in Exodus is God was confirming and reassuring Moses of his goodness, that he will not leave his people, but he will actually go with his people through the wilderness, through another desolate place, through another desperate place, the desert. And Jesus, in our story, where's he at? He goes up on a mountain to pray. The text doesn't tell us what he prayed. I'd really like to know. I think maybe he's actually interceding on behalf of his disciples. Because Israel, because of the hardness of their hearts, they missed it. And so Moses intercedes, and God has compassion. And I think maybe something's going on here because we know the disciples missed the lesson too because of the hardness of their heart. I think Jesus is praying like, they're about to go into the storm, God. Help them to get it. So it's pitch black, raging sea. The disciples have given all they got. They're exhausted. Their muscles are probably burning from rowing all night long. They know they don't have it in them to survive. They've been rowing all night long. They've come face to face with their own limitations, their own desolation. And at just the right time, at just the right moment, to desperate disciples, God reveals his goodness. And I don't know what you're going through. Things may be great. But for others, you could be going through some desperate times. You might be going through some chaotic times. Um, And God's goodness is with you. And because God is good, he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. And that's our second lesson that I see. God reveals in trials his goodness. God in trials reveals his goodness. Now, this one's hard because when you're going through chaos, when you're going through desperate situations, do you see God's goodness everywhere? I don't. In fact, many times I'm like, where are you, God? I'm waiting. Where are you at? I've been waiting. I've been reading my Bible every morning. I've been praying, and you're not showing up. And it gets hard. The disciples also, they didn't see it. It says, verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. And they saw him, and they were terrified. The disciples didn't recognize the goodness of Jesus in the midst of the chaos, because it's so easy to look at our circumstances around us and take our eyes off Jesus. Sometimes it feels like Jesus doesn't care. Sometimes it feels like Jesus is just passing on by while we're about to drown. But somehow, in some way, beyond my understanding, it's all part of this big, great, good plan he has for us, 
for our good. And I don't get it always. But to desperate people, he reveals his goodness at just the right time. I'll try and tell this story real fast. Uh, Oh, we got time. We're good. Um, A lot of you know uh, a little about me and Heidi and our our story. 2011, we found out that Heidi had a 2% chance of getting pregnant. So we're like, well, that's not good odds. So we better get started on this. I still had a year left of seminary. 2012 comes. Heidi gets pregnant. Things are good. We're happy. She goes for an ultrasound. I go for a haircut. And I get out of the haircut, and my phone is just missed calls, missed calls, and I know something's bad. Jump in the car and drive straight to the hospital. And I walk into a dark room, and Heidi's just there crying, alone. We lost the baby. And I told her, I will never miss another ultrasound again. If I can be at an ultrasound, I will be there with you. Some time goes on, we get pregnant again, lose another baby. We move to Stillwater, start here at Stillwater Bible, 2012. Uh, we, God blessed us with Eli. He's the crazy man that runs around here sometimes with no shoes. Uh, but and even in that, we still miss some goodness of God because we're still thinking about all the trauma and still feeling robbed and still feeling pain. And Heidi gets pregnant again and Many of you know this. We lost another baby. And um, I'm like, I'm about done with this. This pain is too much. Watching her suffer, I've had enough. I guess we just like the pain, so we get pregnant again. She does. And we go into the ultrasound room. And I mean, if you, I I don't know how to explain desperate dependency. Because when that screen lights up, it's out of your control. You have no control. It's either a heartbeat or it's not. And we have seen so many screens with no heartbeats that we know there's a very real chance that there's no life there. And so we are holding our breath. The screen comes on and there's a heartbeat, but there's two heartbeats. And uh, we'd had three losses and God gave us twins which gave us three children. And I don't know what kind of guys are out here, but I'm a very strong manly type that cries a lot. (laughs) Man, I got in the car and I cried, not because I was going to have to pay for two weddings someday, but (laughs) I cried. I called my mom and I I had to hand the phone to Heidi because I couldn't talk. I don't know why I was driving, but because for me, it had been four or five years of just pain and trials and grief. And I kept asking, God, where are you? Where's the goodness at? I know you're good. I believe you're good, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not experiencing it. I'm not seeing it. And in, in a little way, with three babies, I felt like God was saying, those three losses, the hell you've been through for the last five years, this is my way of saying, I've been with you the whole time. My goodness has been with you the whole time. And I couldn't handle the joy. I was so overwhelmed, I cried. When we realize our limitations, that we are desperate disciples, and we see his goodness, then we 
it's so much easier than to depend on him and his strength because we, we know he's good. And so Jesus is out there, verse, let's see, where are we at? I was talking too long. I had 50, they're terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. The way it's written, it is I, in the Greek is ego ami, and uh, that is the exact same wording that John uses in the seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. And I am is the personal name of God. He's saying, I'm God, y'all. I'm out here. I'm God. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I love how Matthew opens and closes his gospel. Chapter 1, verse 23, he quotes Isaiah and says, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And then he closes his gospel with a promise from Jesus in chapter 28, verse 20. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Emmanuel, even to the end of the age. We are not walking through it alone. He is with us. God knows our limitations. Proverbs 103, verse 14 says, He knows our frame and that we are but dust. Do we know our frame? Do we know that we are but dust? Do we know that we are desperately dependent every day, every moment, good times, bad times, on Jesus? Desperate disciples are to desperately depend on Jesus. I think this was the lesson he was trying to teach his disciples. Desperate disciples are in need to desperately depend on Jesus. And we too are desperate disciples. And it might be when your phone's about to die, then you know how desperate you are like some of the youth. But we are in desperate need for our Savior every day, every moment. God reveals in trials his strength. When we realize our limitations that we're desperately dependent upon him, when we see his goodness, and then when we depend on him for his strength, not ours, he helps us stand in the midst of the waves and wind. Mark leaves out a miracle that Matthew has. In Matthew's account of the story, after Jesus says, I am, Peter says, if it's you or since it is you, call me out. And Jesus says, come on out. So Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking. And Matthew tells us that as he's walking on the water, he starts looking at the waves and the wind. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And when we look at our circumstances around us, we're reminded of our limitations. And we're looking at the other things around us that are chaotic. We forget about his goodness. But when we look to Jesus, because we realize that we're desperately dependent upon him, then in his strength, he causes us to stand in the midst of the waves and the wind. So, God reveals in trials his strength. He's with us to strengthen us. And just because he shows up, the waves and the wind don't stop. And in John's gospel, 
there's another miracle that as soon as he got in the boat, not only did it stop then, but they were immediately to the other side of the shore. So we see this astonishment starting in 51. Then he got into the boat with them, and we know from John they were immediately to the other side. The wind stopped. The waves calmed. It says they were utterly astonished. And the word utterly astonished means you're outside your mind. You can't wrap your brain around it. You don't know what's going on. Something big happened. Man, can you imagine the party on that boat? People are high-fiving. I think they high-fived back then. They're high-fiving, hugging, jumping, screaming. There's joy there. Can you imagine the joy? Do you want the joy? Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we went to Oklahoma City for a birthday party, and uh, we went to an escape room. Do you guys know what an escape room is? Yeah, I didn't really either. You get locked in a room for an hour, and the clock is ticking down, and you just got clues, and you got to start finding the clues, put it together, you got to break the locks, undo the codes, you got to hack in the computers, and we're there with four guys, and, and we hit walls, we're like, I don't know what to do, but, and it's so fake, but it's so intense at the same time, I don't understand it. But we know we're there, we've got the last code, we're going to get out of here, and uh, I'm at the board because I'm not smart, so I'm just a scribe, you know. And they're, they're shouting out these codes, and I'm translating it on the board, and Adam was there. It's his birthday. He's like 50. And, <laughs> whoops. And um, he's not that old. Anyway, he's at the door, and I'm writing. I'm like, nine, six. And you can just feel it rising. Six, seven. Green lights come on. We're jumping up and down. We're like 30-something-year-old guys just jumping up like cheerleaders. And we didn't care. There's just so much joy. And I'm telling you what, there's so much more joy when we live in dependency upon Jesus when we follow him and we're in fellowship with him than a silly room in Oklahoma City that you're really not trapped in, by the way. There's so much joy when we learn to depend on Jesus, not just in the hard times, but every day, every moment. Verse 52, they were utterly astonished. Verse 52, they had not gained insight from, or any insight from the incident of the lows, but their heart was hardened. They had missed this lesson prior because of the hardness of their hearts. I don't know what it is today that might be hindering you from experiencing the joy of depending on Jesus. If it's unbelief, if you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior to receive the free gift of eternal life, Right where you sit, you can put your faith, your trust in him. He promises eternal life. He says, I give eternal life, and you shall never perish. And when you trust him for that offer, he gives it to you that moment. So right where you sit, if you say, I don't have eternal life. I want it. I want this joy that comes from depending on Jesus. Right where you sit, right now, you can trust in him, and he will give it to you as a gift. And you can start walking today in dependence on Jesus and experience the joy. I thought um, for application, I like to keep it real simple with the youth, so why change it up today? Uh, So I thought for our application, it's right here in your bulletin, we could just have a simple prayer. Not just for today or this week, but the weeks to come. 
God revealed to me the joy of dependence. That's so hard because so much of it is going through hard times. And in a way, we're praying for hard times, for God to teach us joy and dependency. We don't have to go through hard times. But like I said, for some reason, that's just what he uses. But I'm telling you, there's real joy when we depend on Jesus 